Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are in the world, and welcome to this month's Black Hat webcast, Europe 2009 Sneak Preview, brought to you by Black Hat and United Business Media, LLC. I'm Steve Paul, and I'm your announcer today. We have just a few announcements before we begin. This webcast is designed to be interactive between you and our presenters. Later in the program, we will ask for your feedback. You can participate in the Q&A session by asking questions at any time during the presentation. Just type your question into the Ask a Question text area below the media player, then click the Submit button. We will answer as many questions as time permits after the presentation. You may enlarge the slide window at any time by clicking on the Enlarge Slide button located below the presentation window. Slides will advance automatically throughout the event. You can also download a copy of the presentation by clicking on the Download Slide button below the presentation window. At this time, we recommend you disable your pop-up blockers. If you're experiencing any technical problems, please visit our webcast help guide by clicking on the help link below the video window. In addition, you can contact our technical support helpline, which is also located in the webcast help guide. And now on to the presentation, Black Hat's Europe 2009 Sneak Preview. Moderating today is Jeff Moss, founder of Black Hat. Over to you, Jeff. Hey, thank you. Hey, I wanted to welcome everybody to our ninth monthly webcast. We do these things uh, every third Thursday of the month, uh, except for next month, where we'll be all in Amsterdam doing the Black Hat Amsterdam, and so we won't be doing the webinar next month. Um, I wanted just to say that this is something new we've started, the preview of conferences. We did this for the USA show, and it went so well, we're going to do it for Amsterdam. And so we've lined up... Uh, four different people, uh, four different groups, and we picked these out of the whole lineup uh, from Amsterdam. We have about 20 presentations. And each person's going to talk about 10 minutes or so and take some questions at the end about their research, uh, kind of how they stumbled across the work and uh, what kept them interested, what they think the impact of their work will be, and give you an idea. It's not meant to replace their talk in Amsterdam, but it's meant to kind of, if you can't make it to Amsterdam, it will give you an idea of what's going on and uh, what these researchers are finding interesting in, their, in the security space they're working on, and it will give you a chance to ask questions. I'll be moderating it, and if I have uh, questions or I want to get an opinion from another speaker, I might jump in uh, and interrupt the speaker, and I'll also be trying to work in questions that you guys have from the Q&A panel uh, into my questions. So, if you have any questions for anyone, just go ahead and post it in the Q&A session uh, panel, and I'll be following that. And then I'll try to aggregate a couple questions together and, and an answer them or ask them at the appropriate time. So <clears throat> that's about it. It's, uh, it's not rocket science. Uh, we have an online archive of past webinars, the previous eight. You can download for free uh, at blackhat.com. So if you found this interesting, go back, look at what we've got in our archive. And then also, we've just posted all of the uh, audio and video from last summer's Black Hat. It's online for download. And we've also tried a new format. It's larger file size, higher res format. But you actually get direct uh, digital video feed of the slides that were presented on screen, so you can actually finally read the code as seen on the screen. So that's also a first for us. Okay, guys, so I'm going to kick it off. First off, we're going to have uh, Eno Ray, who in Amsterdam will be presenting with Daniel Mende. Now, Eno is the primary researcher on this work, and his talk is entitled, All Your Packets Are Belong to Us, 
attacking backbone technologies. And his focus is going to be releasing uh, a new tool that he's developed that deals with uh, potential and real vulnerabilities in the backbone carrier space. And then after Eno, we'll be having Charlie Miller and uh, Vincenzo Yetzo will be presenting a talk called Fun and Games Using In-Memory Execution on Mac OS X and the iPhone. And you, if you were paying attention, you might have noticed that uh, Charlie Miller just won the Pwn to Own contest at Cansec West with the Safari bug. I think, what, it took you all of 10 seconds to launch that attack? Yeah, some of the work was uh, before I got there, of course. But Of course, but I'm, I'm hoping you get to the sub-second exploit in Safari next year. <laughs> I think the, the biggest barrier is having the person type. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we'll have Stefano Zanero and Claudio uh, Criscone We'll present a talk on Massivity, a web application firewall-based primarily. Well, it is a firewall-based on anomaly detection. It's a reverse proxy, and it aims at detecting web application attacks, and Stefano and Claudio will be releasing that and hopefully uh, explaining in detail what it does well, what it doesn't do well, and why this, why going forward we think this is a smarter approach than just relying on uh, Dumb signatures. And then finally, uh, Roberto Cassera and Roberto uh, Picciarello, we call them the two Robertos, are presenting hijacking mobile data connections. And this work shows how a combination of common factors from uh, user error to mobile phone operator network configuration to the way handsets load uh, uh, access point information uh, gateway information for MMS and text messaging, all leads to uh, an issue where it's possible for an attacker to take uh, control over all the data connections on your mobile devices. And I noticed in this work that there's quite a bit of cryptography analysis done in uh, figuring out how to properly craft these uh, the magic packets. So that one I find quite interesting also. So that's what you're going to be hearing about, and we're going to start it off with uh, Eno Ray. So take it away, Eno. Yeah, hi, this is uh, Eno speaking. Um, I and a colleague of mine, uh, Daniel, we are going to present um, on, in, in short, on backbone technologies and how to attack them. My personal background is uh, I'm a German security researcher, primarily interested in, say, layers 2 to 4 in the OC model, so um, all the application stuff is not uh, that long a world, but the, the network and infrastructure um, pieces. Uh, those are the, the pieces I like to work with and um, I like to do security research on. And uh, say the, the, the talk, the content of the talk is uh, uh, it's about three uh, say protocols or technologies uh, widely used in, in carrier space. Um, technologies most of you will know uh, to some degree from say you are maybe corporate life or uh, from um, tackling uh, VPN connections and, and, and stuff. And uh, this is a, a talk that is heavily based on, on demos, and the main kind, the kind of piece in it is the release of a set of tools. So unfortunately, um, everybody who's listening is going to miss this one. Uh, I'll... I'll uh, but you'll, you'll be releasing the tools afterward for people. Yes, to absolutely. I mean, it will be available, uh, say, I'm, I think the talk is uh, scheduled at something like 
thirty or ten thirty on 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 Thursday. Uh, so say noon on Thursday, the stuff is uh, available. Um, <clears throat> what we have um, the talk is composed of three pieces. Uh, that is, so uh, we are going to talk about uh, BGP. We are going to talk about MPLS. We are going to talk about carrier Ethernet. The connecting, uh, say, line between those um, three pieces is, uh, first, uh, they are backbone technologies, um, and second, all of those have uh, what we call an interesting trust model. It's uh, Within all those technologies, it's like uh, once um, you are part of some kind of, say, old boys club, or you're, you're part of some kind of network, you can do all sorts of nasty stuff. Um, they can't be attacked uh, so easily from from an internet perspective. But once you belong to some some kind of network, it's very easy uh, to do uh, to perform all kinds of um, disastrous attacks. And um, so far, most of these attacks have been kind of like regarded uh, purely theoretical stuff, and that's. Um, I mean, we, we regard our talk a bit in the tradition of making the, the theoretical practical uh, to make people aware like, oh, um, this, is, uh, this can be done in reality and this can be done with real tools uh, that are available. I'll um, quickly go through the introductional slides and we'll, we'll start here. Uh, this is probably the most um, well, say the, the best known protocols or technologies of the, of the three. BGP is is the protocol that keeps kind of the internet together. It's the routing protocol used in um, between carriers. Uh, it's the protocol that the, the glue of the internet, um, essentially responsible for propagating uh, all the routes that the internet connects um, between carriers and. Um, uh, it has, again, um, that interesting trust model, which basically is built on, uh, say, inter-carrier inter trust, um, uh, like uh, humans. It's, uh, it dates back to the days of the Internet where uh, the carrier personal was a, was a club where everybody knew each other, and it's like, uh, okay, I, I trust you. And uh, so I accept uh, routes. Um, this has been discussed heavily last year when um, uh, Anton Capella and Alex Pilosov brought it up at, uh, initially at PH Neutral and then at DEF CON. They showed how to redirect traffic on an Internet scale. And uh, what we did is kind of we, uh, we um, went on at this point and um, Daniel mainly coded the tool that... Um, is uh, able to perform um, route injection via command line interface, uh, which is able to perform MD5 cracking um, of um, uh, BGP. BGP can be secured with an MD5 key, and uh, our tool can uh, very quickly crack that one. We can snip it from the wire and crack it, or we can kind of brute force it with the uh, with a command line tool. Um, this uh, this assumes we are a kind of valid um, BGP peer at the very moment of of the uh, say of, of the tool running or the attack, which um, is the same position that um, the guys last year had. Uh, it's uh, again once you're part of the network, um, uh, this stuff can be used to to inject routes, to crack MD5 keys and and uh, pieces. And uh, how how many backbone providers actually use the MD5 signature? 
Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, um, I'm mainly working in carrier space. Uh, that's uh, that's the world I I, I belong to. Uh, I would say say between forty to sixty percent. But um, I mean, um, I have a slide in this um, from a from a real network from a customer network corporate network with. 40k users, and they have an MD5K like Cisco. So it's um, the security impact of using MD5 might be debatable, but um, it's not so much about MD5. The main problem is uh, once you are you are uh, asset, once you are somehow part of the of the club, um, the MD5 won't help any 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 much at, at that very moment. As at least our tool, we can we can. Um, brute force it very quickly. We can go for, say, some million word list in uh, uh, in, uh, in some seconds uh, on a on a dual core laptop. So, um, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't add to too much security value. Okay, so the, the chapter of MD5 signatures is pretty much over. Yeah. Uh, and it's um, yeah. I mean, it's uh, not everybody uses it, and, and those who use it uh, use weak MD5 keys. Some of those use MD5 weak MD5 keys. Anyway, there are even large carriers um, uh, within AT&T. Uh, there was an internal paper circulating, basically saying, "Oh, we don't um, recommend for using MD5 uh, as it may slow down or have operational impact." So yeah, it's not uh, too present anyway. Um, Let's uh, go on with the second part of, of the talk. This is the one, uh, personally, I, I like most. Um, as we have a pretty, I think, weird uh, and, and, and nice demos here. Um, MPLS is a, is a technology that is mainly that is mainly used in, in carrier space, and uh, I, I'd say every carrier uses this. Um, one for, say, internal reasons, like... Um, uh, Accelerating um, traffic forwarding based on routing lookups, which do not happen anymore, um, and it can and it is largely used for a kind of VPN purposes. So um, enterprises can buy some VPN service, which is called a MPLS VPN, uh, which um, is not uh, an, an encrypted as one might expect from something called VPN, but uh, the it's, it's, it's about traffic separation. So it's like, okay, we as, uh, say, VCB, we offer you an MPLS VPN service. Um, uh, Coca-Cola can buy the service and IBM can buy it or can, can use the service. And we kind of guarantee that uh, we won't mix up the traffic. In reality, I'll, I'll skip some technical details here. The point is that the, the whole traffic separation is built on small 20-bit pieces added to the packets. And once um, one is able to, uh, say, modify these 20-bit uh, pieces, it's quite easy to redirect traffic on a large scale. It's like um, we have, uh, again, we have, uh, we have a tool here, and with that tool we are able to demonstrate um, bidirectional traffic redirection on a large scale. It's like... Um, Traffic from one customer flowing through the backbone. We uh, use the tool, and this traffic is redirected uh, into a completely different network. The whole traffic, both directions, and so the the attacked um, uh, enterprise would not even notice. Oh, wouldn't they notice all their traffic stopped? 
No, they say the the, tra the traffic is kind of duplicated. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and that's why it works in both directions. Um, so nobody essentially will notice as um, the. Uh, I mean, uh, there is sort of no like uh, traffic. There's no impact. And uh, there is no checksums or whatever with MPLS. Uh, the customer, say, A, will never know all the traffic has been redirected in parallel to customer B. So it's sort of like a virtual spanning port or something. Yes, exactly. Uh, and we, we cannot only use it to, say, to redirect traffic. We, we, can, we have enlarged um, uh, the functionality of the tool. And in, in the meantime, um, we can inject traffic... Um, uh, with a kind of, uh, we have built a, uh, a kind of tunnel interface uh, in Linux, um, so we can we can inject traffic into any kind of traffic via a virtual interface into any any uh, given VPN once we are in the in the backbone, and this is uh, this is pretty pretty neat. Um, now, would you? Is there a way you can scan, or how would you uh, determine the identification between bits of the other? Sorry, how how would you find out though the twenty bit identifier for everybody else? Yeah, I mean you you have to once you are in a say position um, to perform this attack, you um, uh, we we assume one is able to to sniff traffic at that point, so we can easily monitor uh, it. If depending on the window, the the carrier, the device window, the carrier uses, uh, it might be possible to say uh, guess uh, with a certain um, correctness uh, the labels used. As uh, in, in Cisco space, the labels um, are incremented sequentially. In, in Juniper space, they are the, the, the chosen by random. So, yeah, it might depend. Would you be able just to brute force it? See if you yes, it I mean, the label space is um, it's, it's twenty bits. Uh, so yeah, yeah, one might be able to brute force it, um, but it might be difficult to uh, to notice uh, once you have, uh, you have hit the correct one. Um, uh, so you would have to inject the traffic um, for all these say two uh, um, power twenty um, possibilities then. Oh, okay. It's not as simple as guessing it, watching traffic flood in, and then going on to the next yeah. one. I mean, once uh, once you are uh, again in the in the carrier backbone, you you uh, should be able to to sniff it at some point or to get it from from other information. There is stuff like uh, so-called MPLS ping that uh, gives back um, uh, labels used in in different parts of the network. Um, so we assume it should be able to find it out anyway. Um, the third piece of the talk covers another technology which may be based on MPLS um, uh, that is um, called Carrier Ethernet. Carrier Ethernet basically means um, that Ethernet is not um, so much used, uh, usually this uh, used for that as well, but used as a, uh, say, access medium, connect to your carrier network via Ethernet plug, but uh, Ethernet is transported across the cloud. So um, Ethernet in on one side, um, the same Ethernet frame comes out on the other side of the cloud. So you might have the illusion like um, connecting a site, say, in, in Washington, D.C., and connecting a site in Seattle, and they might think, okay, we are, we are directly connected. We, are, um, um, we have a kind of LAN connection. And this is um, a technology that um, gains more and more grounds um, in 
as uh, for some applications, this is very attractive, um, especially stuff like, uh, say, sound replication or, or, or stuff. Um, uh, carrier Ethernet is more or less, uh, say, um, a marketing term which um, designates different underlying technologies. And uh, the basic principle is the same like with MPLS. Um, for perform for traffic in on one side, it comes out on the other side, goes over a shared backbone, and is somehow um, segregated from the other um, traffic. And again, here are some technologies uh, involved that by themselves do not offer any kind of security controls. They just, um, it's, it's all about, it's, it's all unencrypted, there is no checksums, there is nothing. The whole trust model is based uh, like, okay, we have, uh, let's assume all the, the backbone is trusted um, and nobody can get in there. Um, and this is, uh, say, all the security that, that is uh, provided from the carrier space. Um, again, once uh, gets ha somehow into this uh, trusted zone, which is not too difficult. I mean, um, that's the space I've been working in for, for many years, and uh, nobody listening should expect that carrier security is better, say, than um, average uh, corporate security. I mean, they are corporations uh, as well. Um, uh, and again, this is not yet uh, in included in, the, in these slides. Um, we have... Uh, we have written um, a tool that is able to uh, interfere at the, at the given point of traffic, um, injection of traffic, redirection of traffic, uh, all kinds of um, nasty stuff again. And we, we might, we are even able. I'll, again, I'll let once a bit and skip some pieces. Um, we have uh, for the for let's say the, the the end of the presentation, we have another demo um, where we uh, inject uh, say an, a new site into one of these technologies. It's like okay, um, say Coca Cola has a site in Seattle and a site Washington, and suddenly a site uh, Dayton, Ohio shows up and takes part in the network. Uh, all this uh, can be done with our our tool. So I'll end here. I oh wait, wait! You've you've painted a pretty you. you've painted a pretty you know scary picture. What uh, what can operators do to mitigate any of this stuff? Yeah, I mean um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, the the operators um, by themselves do not um, too much regard this as a problem as uh, their approach is, yeah, um, we keep intruders outside of the network so nobody will ever be uh, able to perform this. Uh, once this assumption is broken, it, it will be quite difficult to uh, to keep this um, pieces away from the op operator side. Um, uh, segmentation of um, of pieces within their backbones might help. Um, there might be uh, technologies like monitoring um, the appearance of labels or, or stuff. Monitoring might help, but as far as I can say, this this kind of monitoring is not uh, used to to much degree, as the assumption is uh, nobody will will able to will be able to perform this. So, and so far, there haven't been any tools. It's like, um, yeah, uh, oh, this is completely theoretical. And for a company, if if you had the resources and you could buy 
some kind of encryption tunnel device or appliance, and you just tunneled it, even though you're buying this carrier Ethernet, as long as you encrypted point-to-point. Yeah, that, that's, um, I mean, um, that is essentially the... Um, our what, what we want to make um, the audience aware of is uh, that... Um, uh, yeah, once uh, once um, the, the trust in the uh, in, in the operators all might be debatable. Um, the whole uh, say security of the transport path is broken, uh, and so once you don't trust the transport path anymore, you you should encrypt, uh, obviously. So we've got a question, um, and then we'll move on to the next presentation. Yeah, the question. Sorry for going a bit over time. Uh, if uh, in attacking BGP, MPLS, and carrier Ethernet, will you attack specific hardware implementations? No. Or are you saying the protocols themselves? Yeah, it's the and, protocols. Uh, and, then, and the only difference so far that I, I've heard you mention was in the way that uh, Juniper versus, or versus Cisco picked MD5. No, it's one. not MD5. It's, it's the label space. So the labels uh, that are oh. assigned to a given um, uh, connection um, those are picked up by random from the 22 uh, power 20 space in, in Juniper. In the case of Juniper and Cisco, just goes on sequentially, like uh, the first connection gets, uh, say, 17, and the second gets 18. And, and but in the end, that doesn't matter really either. Because no, it doesn't yeah. matter too much. We assume we will we will find out the labels anyway. Excellent. Okay. Um, and then when you release the tools, um, one of the questions uh, from Howard was, if the tools become public, are you worried that some hacking group uh, might be able to use them to cause havoc? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, a short answer is, uh, I believe, in full disclosure. So, um, I mean, the, the weaknesses in the protocols have been um, known for a long time uh, to uh, to operate a personal. It's uh, it's just uh, so far, um, it's like oh, that's theoretical. So it's not um, it's not really really news that we are going. The to problems know. are well known. Nobody's just yes. It's just out of the lab for the first time. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll also have to take questions for uh, you know at the end. So I want to thank Eno, and then I want to move on to our second speaker, uh, Charlie Miller and Vincenzo Yetzo, that are going to be talking about uh, in-memory execution on Mac OS X and the iPhone. So uh, I know you're here, Charlie. Why don't you guys take it away? Okay, thanks for the introduction. So, uh, yeah, we want to um, basically uh, talk about Mac OS X and things you can do in memory and uh, you know, talk about some techniques for post-exploitation. Um, so, uh, again, uh, there was some confusion maybe at, at Vincenzo's talk, but uh, this, is, this entire talk is, is about what happens once you have shellcode running. So, you know, we're not going to be dropping zero days, and we're not even really going to be talking about exploitation techniques. It's going to be, um, you got code running, uh, what can you do? Uh, yeah, there seemed to be, in, in Vincenzo's last talk, there seemed to be some confusion. Everybody got wrapped around the axle thinking that it was, uh, some kind of new exploit vector, and in reality, it was no, no. We're just assuming that after you've already got access to the box, here are all these, you know, these are some tricks you can do to hide yourself. And it was weird; people couldn't get beyond that for some reason. Right, right, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, people might say, well, you know, oh, so this isn't a new exploit. Who cares? But you know, in, in the Windows world, people have had these these great tools available to them for a long time about 
you know, once you get on, on the box, you know, how do you hide yourself? Uh, how do you make sure that, you know, they can't find you forensically? And so we're basically just trying to catch up to the world of, of Mac security to Windows at this point. So um, this is all, uh, you know, cool, interesting things you can do once you're, you're on uh, an OS X system. Uh, just um, just to, quick to prevent the naysayers, in your opinion, how hard is it to actually get on a Mac box, current version? Uh, not so hard. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, the, the last years of phone known, I've, I've, you know, haven't had too many problems. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons, and, and some of it will come out, actually, in, in these slides here. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they, they basically, Mac OS X doesn't have the same sorts of, of memory protections in the OS that, like, say, this does. And, um, you know, like the exploit I, I used yesterday, you know, I, I could predict exactly where my shell code was going to be on the heap, and once I jumped there, I knew it was going to execute because they don't have any sort of you know, non-executable heap, and so life was was easy. It was it was you know hacking retro. It was like the good old days. Um, but you know, trying to do the same exploit and in, in or, or something, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna have trouble finding my shellcode in the first place, and even if I find it, you know, it's going to be hard to get to execute because you know you have to pull some tricks or something. So uh, anyway, I for now at least in the world of Mac, is uh, you can you can get on them you know, relatively easier than, than on the Windows side. So. Okay, so um, so then uh, what are we going to talk about? So uh, basically Vincenzo had his talk at, at Black Hat DC. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, he, he basically talked about this way to do a user land exec. So um, he's going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that again, and then basically this talk is, is about uh, applications of that and, and other sort of similar techniques. Um. Let's see. So, uh, and and since iPhone is basically runs a, a, a very similar operating system than your desktop OS X, we're gonna try to see like can we extend these techniques onto the iPhone. Okay. So I guess we'll let Vincenzo talk a little bit about his technique here. Yeah. So before explaining exactly how the technique work, let's let's answer a few questions. Uh, the three W. The first one is who can actually run this attack, and is any kind of attacker with a remote code execution. As Charlie said before, this is not a zero day or a new way a mass owner tool. It's just a post exploitation technique, which is rather cool. But you have to have an exploit before that. And the the second question is what what kind of attack is this? And it's similar to Metarpreter. It's basically two stage uh, in the sense that first you have to send together with the exploit code a simple shellcode, which is in charge of receiving the binary. And then uh, when the, upon receiving the binary, on another piece of code called autoloader is executed, and uh, this piece of code is actually in charge of uh, loading the binary and uh, executing it. And the cool thing is, is that the whole, uh, this whole procedure is done in memory, uh, so you don't touch their disk. And with, with, with that uh, little explanation, we can jump to the last question, and is uh, why do we want to run such an attack? And it's because, uh, first of all, it's an anti-forensic technique, which means that um, since you don't leave any traces on the hard disk and 
um, you don't have to call the kernel to actually execute your binary. You leave less traces uh, for a forensic investigation, and this, and if you're an attacker, this is a pretty cool thing. And uh, another really interesting uh, thing that you can do is to write your own payloads in uh, an high-level language like Python, Ruby, or wherever you like. Uh, which means that you don't don't have to write a lot of assembly. I mean, we are in 2009. And it's pretty boring to write a uh, thousand lines of assembly. Uh, let me uh, let me ask you something. Uh, when they do execute uh, the user land exec, is it uh, it's with privileges of user? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's no privilege of escalation. As I say, it's just a way of uh, covering tracks. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to let people know that, that yeah. re when you say remote code execution, it could be at whatever privilege of the process or, that you yeah. manage to get in at. Exactly. Um, okay, so uh, one last question to answer is what kind of binaries can you execute? And uh, the question is every kind of binary. And this is pretty cool because other techniques like metapeter or bundle injection requires you to have a specific type of Binary, so you have to write your own piece of code um, with maybe some functions functions that need to be present or such. Instead, with this technique, you can uh, just uh, you just have to uh, select your binary and uh, run it. And so uh, we the the kind of binary ranges from LS to Safari, uh, but actually in uh, real life scenarios, the the most Probably what you want to inject are keyboard sniffers, uh, network uh, scanners, and other kind of malicious code or binaries of that kind. Mm, in order to fully understand how the technique works, uh, we need to uh, first understand how the binary execution is usually conducted on OSX. Uh, so the, let's say that you want to run your own binary. Uh, the exact VA system call is called uh, with uh, command line arguments and environment variables. Then uh, the execution is passed to the kernel, uh, which passes the binary and maps code, data, and everything else needed by uh, the binary in order to load. And finally, it creates a, a stack. Uh, as you might know, every um, every binary on basically every operating system needs a uh, a stack, and uh, it's pretty common to to create this stack at kernel space uh, when the exact VA system call is uh, is first uh, called. The 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 different thing uh, um, respect of other operating systems like uh, Unix or Linux or whatever is that instead of jumping to the binary entry point, the execution is passed to the dynamic linker, which is in charge of resolving dependencies like libraries and such, and uh, parsing a thread state structure which contains the status of the, of the registers at the beginning of the execution. Um, so the, uh, the dynamic linker is in charge of jumping to the binary entry point. And the cool thing for us is that the dynamic linker is not randomized, so we know where we are going to find it. So let's let's see what we do. Uh, the first thing that we need to do is to modify the binary. As said before, we 
don't ask to the to the user to uh, provide us with a custom binary. We just use some infection techniques uh, in order to put some data inside the, the the crafted binary. So the first thing that we need to put inside the binary is a stack which is identical to the one uh, that the, the kernel creates for a common application or binary. And the, another piece of code, the autoloader that I mentioned before, which is in charge of mimics uh, the, the behavior of the kernel. Uh, basically, it does the thing that I explained in the, in the previous slide. And uh, the second thing uh, is that the binary is, is uh, sent to the uh, victim's process, and uh, the shellcode uh, is in charge of receiving the binary and uh, running it and uh, running the autoloader. And, uh, but Mm, uh, the, auto, the last thing that the autoloader needs to do is to is some sort of cleanups of some uh, the, of the variables of the dynamic linker. Uh, explaining why this is needed is pretty long and boring, so we'll skip this part. And uh, the last thing uh, is to jump to the dynamic lin uh, linker entry point, as the kernel would do. Um, so, since it might be a bit uh, confusing or complicated, let's see it's, it's in a picture. Uh, the first thing is the attacker sends the exploit code plus the simple shellcode. Uh, the shellcode is, is executed and it opens a port on the victim machines, so the attacker is able to run the crafted binary, which contains the autoloader, and uh, the autoloader ex is executed. Eventually, if needed, the output of the injected binary can be redirected to the attacker machine. And now, since Charlie is the practical guy, the one who actually exploits stuff, he will, uh, he will tell you some interesting, uh, interesting facts of practical way of using this attack. So, thanks. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So you know, I've talked. I've given lots of talks about fuzzing and finding bugs, and uh, you know, Dina Dizovi and I just wrote a book about you know writing exploits for Mac OS X. And, and so, you know, in my mind, like, it's a pretty well understood subject. Uh, but what's not as well understood is, is then what do you do, right? As an attacker, what can you do once you, you get a shell? Um, and that's and uh, you know, Vincenzo's method is like one pretty cool thing you can do, and, and there's some other stuff you can do too. That's what we want to talk about. So, um, uh, one of the, one of the criticisms, though, uh, that that you know people had when Vincenzo, uh, you know, initially talked about his, his results was, oh, you know, if that's too complicated, it'll never work in shellcode. Um, so, uh, one of the things we're going to do in this talk is, is you know, on the screen here is is shellcode that 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 will do exactly this technique, and you know, it works, and and we'll demo it, and, and it's not a problem. So, uh, you can use this in a real exploit in a real attack. And uh, if you look, the shellcode is actually quite small um, because all the preparation is done to the binary, and, and uh, all the shellcode basically does is jump the YLD and, and things work. Um, uh, so, so uh, again, you know, trying to, to, to think of the practical aspects of this attack. Um, basically, uh, uh, today, in the last couple of days, um, I'm trying to get some... Uh, some code into Metasploit uh, for um, interpreter for, for OSX, and uh, I demonstrated that in the talk I gave today. And uh, so we're going to demonstrate that again at, uh, 
and, and Black Hat in Amsterdam. It's really cool. So um, basically, it's, it's just a special payload, and it allows you to uh, you know, basically bring along all your tools with you. You can, instead of just popping a shell, you can run commands uh, that, that are in your code instead of uh, the code of the system. You can custom, and you know they're not showing up in the process list and that sort of thing. Um, but most importantly, one of the things that I've built into it is this method such that uh, you can upload an executable, um, you know, whatever it is, a keyboard sniffer or, uh, or you know, some sort of other program that you don't want to, to show forensically. You, you upload this binary, um, it stays in memory, and then it's executed using this technique all inside of an interpreter prompt. Um, so it's all automatic for you. And uh, like I said, so we're going to demonstrate this and some of the other cool stuff that I put in the interpreter related to it. Um, okay, so, so that was OSX. Um, what about iPhone? So uh, I mentioned earlier that, that iPhones run a, a stripped-down version of OSX with some, some extra security built in. Um, what, what can you do with this technique and other similar OSX techniques on, on iPhone? And uh, that's a great question. So, so first, let's talk about how iPhone is different than OSX. Um, the first thing is that uh, only signed binaries will run. So... Um, if you were to, to get a shell and you were to upload you know, some, some keyboard sniff or whatever you want, uh, and you tried to run it, it wouldn't run. So it would fail in the exact because it's not signed by, by Apple. Um, and, and what complicates matters is on the iPhone, there's basically no useful binaries for you. So there's no SH, there's no LS, there's, there's nothing. Even if you could get a shell, there's no command you really want to run. Um, so, uh, like I said, there's... You, there's no such thing as shell code for iPhone because there's no shell unless you bring it along uh, for yourself. So, you know, the question comes up, you know, can we, we do something, you know, user land exec-ish or some other way to, to build payloads for iPhone that are going to be useful and that will, you know, somehow get around this, you know, this code signing and, and, and all that other thing. So, um, as you'll see here on uh, my jailbroken phone, I show that uh, we ported the, the technique to that one. And you can, uh, if you can make out what this is, is I, I run a program called Not Signed, which obviously isn't signed, and, and it won't run. Um, and then I use uh, the technique of user land exec, and then it, it does run because it never actually has to go through the exec system call. Um, oh, I missed, so, I missed uh, the part. This is only on the shell broken, I mean, on the right. jailbroken phone. Right, right. Um, so, so then you have to wonder, like, is this going to work on a non-jailbroken phone, right? Um, because they have more memory protection and stuff. Uh, so it's, it's not clear, actually, at this point whether it will or not. But um, if you assume that you can get shell code running, so we have some other, some other techniques that, for iPhone. Um, basically, the, uh, the problem that are the defenses that the iPhone puts in place are that, you know, you, you can't run files, basically, right? So, uh, but, but you're running shell code already. So you, all you have to do is basically, you know, earlier we said we don't want to write assembly. Um, but what we can, if we could just generate shell code, like machine code, for our, our useful binaries, our, our image capture tools and our, our keyboard sniffers, we can, if we can uh, automate that in some manner, such that we can make gigantic shell code that does useful things, then, then that's something else. And that's, that's something else we're going to talk about. And it, it's sort of funny because, you know, there have been a lot of talks this is you know, a few years ago about, like, how you make really small shell code. And so now we're going to talk about how you make really big shell code because we want to have all the, the functionality that we want, you know, 
call library functions, uh, you know, call QuickTime API, whatever we want to do, and we want to be able to do this in shellcode and, and do it pretty easy. And, you know, we don't want to write a thousand lines of assembly. So we're going to talk about that and do some, some demos and stuff. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, it, it, this is sort of basically an open question. So, you know, so yeah, we got Metrobrew for OSX now, but uh, can you do it on iPhone? And, and that's sort of the holy grail of iPhone research. So uh, it, it solves all of your problems, basically. You could you bring along your, your, your bin update, you bring along your LS, you bring along all the tools you want. And uh, we're going to talk about, you know, is this possible? Can you do it? You know, what are the problems when you try to do this? And, you know, if, if everything goes our way, we'll actually show it. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And that's basically it. So I think it's good. Lots of cool demos and, uh, and useful stuff in it, I hope. And where do you see this going? Uh, what's uh, what's the future work? Um, I think uh, basically, you know, the, in the future it would be great if we had, uh, you know, some, some some someone would make some exploits we could stick them in Metasploit, and you know, if we could get Metrobrew in Metasploit, like uh, you know, basically make you know Metasploit work for iPhone like it does for Windows. So, you know, have a bunch of payloads available, have a bunch of exploits, have a bunch of, uh, you know, like a, a misrepresentation available. You know, that, 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 that's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, it's going to be extremely difficult because the iPhone has much more security than Mac OS X. So uh, it's, a, it's a dream at this point, but hopefully we can make it come true. I've got a question. Do you have a website or WordPress blog so I can mention this at the next Macintosh users group? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, no, but if you Google, I, I give, like, talks occasionally on this, so you might find some slides or send me an email. I'd be happy to send you. Okay, so thanks, Charlie. Stick around for in case we get questions at the very end. Sure. And next up we have uh, Stefano and Claudio. But before I let them speak, I'm going to have to ask them to actually pronounce the name of this tool because here in the Black Hat office, um, we can't figure it out. Uh, it's mostly today. M massive Yeah. It's an acronym, but it's an acronym of a sentence that we don't want to reveal, so... Ah. We, we, may, we may share that with the audience at Black Hat Europe, actually. Okay, so now that you've revealed the secret code word, take it away and tell us why uh, anomaly detection reverse web proxy is the way to go. Okay. Thank you very much, Jeff, for introducing us. Um, basically... Um, as, as maybe the audience of Black Hat knows, because I've been speaking about anomaly detection a number of times, that's that's just the thing that I do for a living. So it seemed like a good a good thing to apply it also to web applications. No, actually, that's not the reason for developing Mazipti. The reason for developing Mazipti is that uh, web application security is increasingly becoming a nightmare. Um, Security in web applications is uh, unbelievably low. All of the statistics that we have seen um, demonstrate that web applications are usually uh, not very secure. Um, it's been proven that most monkeys can successfully act web application. The proof of that is that I can do that, so perhaps uh, even monkeys can do that. And uh, most of the times, the, person that are, the, the persons that are in charge of security uh, just have no 
time and no um, uh, no resources to deal with that on the uh, right side, which would be to write or rewrite applications uh, to take uh, uh, to take care of security and sanitization issues. Um, so basically, what you would like to have is some kind of uh, silver bullet for stopping the attacks before they take place. So guess what's the news? The news is that you cannot actually do that, uh, but. Um, even if you cannot actually have a, a silver bullet for web application security, uh, you really need to have some kind of web application firewall or intrusion detection or intrusion prevention system, whatever you want to call it, uh, because most of the time, patching even known vulnerable web applications uh, is not possible due to various obscure reasons, uh, including the fact that if you touch something, you will break your infrastructure in a way that you cannot uh, possibly cope with. Um, so um, you, just, you just need a way to uh, help yourself with uh, securing web applications, and you usually need to do that before yesterday. So um, usually most uh, organizations tend to apply web application firewalls for the very same reasons uh, they tend to deploy intrusion prevention system. It's because they, they think that these tools will help them stop uh, zero-day attacks and uh, unknown attacks against their custom web application. Well, if you don't know, uh, let me break a news ab uh, about this to you. Uh, most web application firewalls, intrusion prevention systems or whatever, are, are nothing more than a, than a good old grab. Uh, in fact, I, I fondly remember during one of the um, runs of the uh, International Academic Capture the Flag, one of my students writing a web application firewall with two pipes of netcat and a grab in the middle. Uh, so, and uh, a web application firewall today is nothing more than that, actually, just with a shiny interface and a constantly updated database of attacks against well-known web applications. But we know that stopping well-known attacks is just part of the problem. Uh, the other part of, part of the problem is your own web applications, which are usually the highest security nightmares. And um, as, a, as a consultant, uh, I have seen a number of, uh, of broken web applications, and I see all, all the people here around and not nodding their head approvingly when I say of broken web applications. So I, I think there's a number of nodding heads around the world right now. So um, the, the, this is a, a, an inherent problem with signature-based systems. So all signature-based intrusion prevention or web application firewalls are blacklisting uh, applications. And we all know that blacklisting is bad. Uh, we know that blacklisting is bad for firewalls. We know that blacklisting is bad for security controls. Uh, and it's, it's really amazing that we fail to understand that blacklisting cannot possibly work with intrusion prevention. Um, uh, there, there is even a, a quote from a well-known security expert, Plauto, in Mostelaria, said that things that you don't hope for happen more frequently than things that you hope for. So um, basically, the, the problem is that you cannot enumerate attacks, even if you know perfectly all the web applications that you have. And um, basically, what you would like to do is uh, to do a whitelisting on web applications, exactly as you do or you should do on your networks with your firewalls. Um, so basically, this will reduce to uh, being able to list every a single parameter of every single uh, web application form and to state what are the correct inputs for those forms. 
which is basically rewriting the application in a secure way. So, um, and uh, this is just not even taking into account the fact that web applications change, and usually they change outside of the control of network security or of chief security officers. So basically, web application firewalls require constant updating. Uh, they cannot really provide whitelisting, which is um, something that is claimed as the best practice. For instance, if you read uh, through the guides of, uh, um, uh, of the open source web application firewalls, you will see that they, they just suggest that you should do write your own rules and create uh, whitelisting, but actually nobody ever does that because it's, it's, it's unfeasible. Um, so... Um, what did we do? We, we developed this uh, web application intrusion prevention system, which has basically three key points. Uh, it's anomaly-based, so basically it's, uh, it's able to learn automatically what is the correct expected behavior of the application, what is the correct expected uh, behavior of the user of the application, uh, which means that it's able to learn, so there's no predefined attack database. In fact, there's no attack database whatsoever. There's a database of... Uh, actually uh, approved benign normal behaviors of the users. And uh, what we tried to do was to design it in a way which is able uh, to, uh, which is uh, likely to be uh, deployed in a, a real-world context. For instance, most of the uh, other uh, academically developed tools for doing anomaly detections uh, require attack-free data sets for training. We don't require an attack-free data set for training. So um, that, that was a, a really key point in our, in our development. So Mazipsi is exactly that. Um, it's basically a, 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 huge, um, a, a huge testing platform for testing uh, intrusion prevention models for web application. Uh, it's created with an architecture which is loosely represented here. Of course, I don't have the time to go through all of the architecture during this short phone call. We will discuss it in detail along with all the anomaly detection models uh, with the audience at Black Hat uh, Europe. But I can just share a couple of examples so that you understand what I'm talking about. Basically, uh, the application has um, a, a set of anomaly reasoners. Each anomaly reasoner is something that takes care of attacks uh, in, uh, in a single part of the application model. So we have a reasoner which analyzes the request, a reasoner which analyzes the SQL queries, a reasoner that analyzes the results, and so on. Um, Inside the reasoner, there are a number of anomaly detection engines. Let's take, for example, the reasoner that analyzes the queries. We have uh, engines that uh, analyzes the length uh, uh, of the um, parameters and the average length, the um, distribution of this length, and so on and so forth. Uh, we have um, engines that analyze the way um, some specific application interface are called because uh, basically the structure of the code is fixed. So the ways uh, parameters are, um, are called inside uh, links to web application pages uh, will not usually change unless the request is being crafted. So basically, uh, this sets of different anomaly engines all uh, observe each query and uh, flag it with an anomaly value. Then there is a composition engine which uh, basically uh, puts together all these results and tries to determine if a single query is anomalous or not. Um, 
The same happens with uh, queries on the SQL database. In this case, we observe the structure of the SQL queries because SQL queries do not change ordinarily structure between different executions uh, of the uh, of the web application pages. Um, and uh, we observe responses to queries, and all these uh, different uh, reasoners are actually in touch with each other. So basically, uh, we can see if an uh, application gives an answer which is not correct for the request that generated it. In order to track all of this, uh, we have a reverse proxy which handles the request and answer parts, and we have uh, developed a set of, uh, basically a set of APIs for uh, easy, easily plugging in uh, be between the application and the SQL database. Um, this is needed because we could use a proxy even here, but in case we use the proxy, we, we would not be able to track down uh, what query uh, responds to which answer. And this is important in our detection model. It, it isn't ignored, by the way, by most of the SQL, inter, uh, SQL uh, anomaly detection uh, engines around. So um, these are some of the key points of, uh, of news that uh, Mazipti um, has over the uh, other existing um, tools for web application firewalling. Um, I'm pretty sure that um, a number of questions will be raised either here or in uh, Europe about it, and we are uh, ready to answer them. So, uh, Jeff, over to you if there's none right now, or uh, we are ready to answer questions. What, uh, what do you see the performance penalty? Okay, so um, basically, Mazipti right now is, an, um, is, is developed in a prototypical stage, so we, we don't have uh, real performance measurements that uh, are, let's say, accurate to, uh, as to the single-digit figures. But, but you say, uh, uh, we compared to regex and grep. Oh yeah, um, basically uh, th th there is a definitely a performance penalty, but all of these engines have been developed having in mind to have very simple calculations. So some of them have very complex calculation at learning phase, so the training can take some time, but uh, all of them have very simple calculation at the runtime phase. So it's surely slower than your regular application of simple regexes. It depends actually, uh, regex application increases linearly with the number of, uh, of expressions that you, that you present, or slightly sublinearly, but we are almost there. Um, in this case, we have a, an almost constant performance hit because all of the models basically have a, 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 static, a, a, stable, um, a stable cost in performance. We, we cannot really say what is, what is it exactly, but it's been designed not to be uh, too intrusive on, uh, on the performance of the, of the web application. Well, most of the questions for you seem to be around speculating what MassDace actually stands for. Multiple application security, <laughs> app security behavior, behavior testing yesterday. Well, uh, the attendees of the webcast can submit to me the question, and we will try to figure out and send out a prize for the correct answers. So there was a question. I, I know, I know, we'll be flooded by emails right now. So, but uh, that's fine. One of the questions was, does it involve graph analysis? Sorry. The question from Howard was, does massivity involve graph analysis? Um, yes and no. Um, it involves graph analysis in the sense that uh, we are analyzing trees of uh, tree representations of some of the document object models and some of the, uh, of the SQL queries. 
uh, so trees are a specialized kind of grass, but it's uh, it's basically a, a walk down on a tree, so it's uh, it's fairly easy and fast. There's no comparison of trees to speak of. So there's, uh, uh, if I understand where the, the question was aimed, so uh, basically comparing trees or doing uh, difficult uh, comparison work on trees is uh, heavy in terms of calculation. We don't do that, so there's no impact in uh, in that sense. We just do uh, simple walkthroughs of the of the trees which are used as a representation. So there's no real impact. In, in terms of performance, if I understood where the question was aimed. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Stefano, and um, thank you, uh, Claudio. We're going to be yeah. Claudio Cla- Cla- was quite silent, but he's still here. So you're here with any other spirit. <laughs> yeah, I, I basically uh, stripped him of the ability to speak for this for 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 this time. So. <laughs> So we're going to move on to our last presentation with the two Robertos uh, on hijacking mobile data connections, and then okay. we'll also take any questions at the end for uh, all the speakers. And you can ask questions to everybody that's maybe outside the scope of their presentations if you're just interested in getting an opinion from them, and then we'll plan on ending on time. So, all right, Roberto and Roberto. Hello to everyone. We are here. Excellent. Take it away. Yes. I'm starting to uh, present uh, um, our work at Mobile Data Connection uh, by Mobile Security Lab. And so before outlining the results of our research, I'm going to say a few words on the current state of the mobile environment and the latest uh, results in security research that are related to our work. The first point is uh, the use of data connection, modern mobile phones is growing, because today all mobile users want to access and exchange their own information anywhere, anytime. For this reason, many services have been developed and deployed on the connection. As you can see on the slide, there are many examples of this application. Mail, web surfing, instant messaging, network, um, social network clients, e-commerce application to provide uh, flexible payment methods, and finally, voice over P communication. But all of these applications deal with several of data of different kind, and many of them may be confidential, a privacy concern may arise if they are accessed. So, next, increasing fast connection are being available to users. Naturally, uh, the constant evolution of mobile technology provides to uh, the user the fast connection. And finally, more and more powerful mobile devices are produced, and this allows for building a complex application. In this scenario, some small details may lag behind, and little weaknesses may be overlooked. But the, um, an important element of um, this slide is that uh, all of this information are more and more interesting for, uh, for an attack. Next. Uh, relevant research uh, has been presented in the last, during the last year. The first work is uh, DNS protocol flow discovered by Dan Kaminsky. Uh, this DNS flow allows an attack to perform a man-of-the-middle attack. The second work, uh, SSL security issue, discovered by Moxie and Marty Spike, he presented a new idea to attack SSL connection 
in this case, many of the middle attack is required to perform it. But may, it may not be applicable to mobile network. Both of work uh, are related with uh, mean of the middle attack. So now I give you uh, to Roberto Garcia, will uh, will provide uh, in, some info on our work. Thank you. Hello, I am Roberto Garcia from Mobile Security Lab. I am going to outline an attack that we have discovered during our research activity. The, the first feature of this attack is that uh, it allows for taking full control of a data connection. And it also does not rely on a single vulnerability because it's not exploit a single vulnerability, but it's based on a mix of several features and weaknesses related to mobile operator network configuration and protocols, relying on handset capability and also typical user interaction. So a mix of these, of these issues that regarded one by one could seem harmless, allowed to gather together from an attacker point of view can lead to the execution of this attack in order to take the full control of the data connection. And also, this attack is applicable to a large number of handset handsets because it is not vendor-dependent, but it's, uh, it's based on capability commonly supported by most mobile phones. And finally, it's not relying on a specific mobile operator network configuration. It's not a mobile operator-specific attack. So, in the next slide... What can be done with this attack? Or better, what an attacker can achieve with this? First of all, the clear text traffic interception. And as is shown in this slide, an attacker can access the source code of the web page that the user is browsing. And also, it's possible to perform dynamic content injection. It can be performed in both the directions in the client request and also in the server reply. And finally, it's possible the application of well-known many individual attack techniques. For example, it's possible to redirect the victim traffic toward an SSL SRIP proxy server. And so, now let's start to explore the possible scenarios in which this attack could be performed. The first is web browsing, mainly based web browsing authentication, because a lot, a lot of mobile sites are again using HTTP protocol for authentication. And in this, in this way, it's possible to gather, to easily collect the username and the password of the user. But if an encrypted protocol used for the authentication, then the session is redirected to an HTTP protocol again. So it's possible to collect the session ID and cookie easily, and it's possible to perform the victim behavior. And also, application data, where per application data, we can, we, we, it means that uh, we can collect uh, information about instant messaging and social network clients that uses HTTP protocol, and a lot of this kind of application uses HTTP protocol. The same happens for mail, victim mail, that is configured to use POP3 and EMAP, EMAP as protocol for the retrieving of the mail. But in general, this attack is 
perform uh, all the mobile application that uses data connection are vulnerable to this attack. But a very important scenario is also the data extrusion. This is the first time that uh, it, can be it can be performed because the traffic data that's normally internal and confined to the mobile operator network can be accessed from an, from an external attack. And finally, it's possible to perform that injection, phishing attack, spamming, and also it's possible to take the control of a web session, injecting a scriptable code as a JavaScript in order to achieve the same effect of a cross-site script vulnerability without using a cross-site affected site. And finally, it's possible to perform exploiting injection because by accessing the full data exchanged by a client, it's possible to get information from the HTTP either and where a lot of mobile browsers uses information about the user. For example, the, 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 the browser of the user, the version the, the, the handset of the user and also the firmware version. So in this way, and using this information, it's possible dynamically to inject and exploit payload specific for the victim of browser. So further information and technical details will be explored during the presentation at the next Black Hat conference and a live demo will be performed where a remote web browsing session hijacking will be demonstrated. And now I will give to you Cristoforo Mune, the third author of our works. Thank you. Hi all, I'm Cristoforo Mune. I'm sorry, I'm not listed in the first slide uh, for the presentation, but also an author uh, of, this, um, of this work. I'm not going to present uh, in, in Amsterdam, uh, even if uh, the two Robertos are going uh, to do this. Uh, a few details. Uh, we, um, we spotted uh, this uh, vulnerability during uh, our work, uh, work on, uh, um, on system and protocols that, we, uh, that are generally used and available in the, uh, available in the environment. Okay, uh, one thing, what can be, what can be done is, uh, with this, uh, also with this, um, with this kind of attack? Well, the first uh, thing that I would like to stress is uh, that, uh, for example, in the, in the previous uh, uh, DNS poisoning attacks, just a subset of the protocols uh, was accessible to, to an attacker. But uh, in, uh, in the tax scenario that we explored and we are going to propose on, uh, in Amsterdam, uh, the full uh, connections, the full uh, range of connections that are originated by, by a mobile phone will be available to an attacker. So we are not exploring just HTTP, but also other, other TCP connections could be uh, available to an attacker. So this uh, wider range is available to, uh, to an attacker, as I said. Another thing, uh, previously the SSL was not, uh, SSL attack, for example, uh, was not uh, possible to be performed for, to the mobile, uh, to be applied to the mobile environment, uh, because there was really no point of intercep interception and injection. For the first time, as far as we know, as we can say, uh, this is the, um, this is the first time that this can be at least uh, achieved with the connections that are uh, originated by mobile devices. Um, 
it was it was stressing that uh, uh, this world does not rely on the exploitation of a single vulnerability, but uh, it is uh, um, uh, more due to an holistic approach that we uh, we used in analyzing the, the protocols, the connection, and the answered capabilities, and also um, in uh, the typical uh, uh, user uh, approach to the data, data connection. Uh, at the moment, we, we are not giving away the, the, the full details of the, of the, of the presentation, but we will uh, be sure be happy to uh, provide you a great demo and all the full details at the conference in Amsterdam. Okay, Jeff? Yes. Okay, uh, over to you. So what would you say uh, the, the best defense against this is just for users not to accept uh, new operator settings or... Yes, um, well, at the moment, uh, the, the, best, uh, the best approach will be just uh, for users to be uh, suspicious uh, of, uh, um, of any kind of uh, mis uh, misconfiguration, misbehaving, mis uh, um, or something uh, that, 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 that looks quite wired on the handset. This is the best thing that at the moment I can say, but uh, uh, we are surely providing details that uh, uh, the needed parties for uh, uh, defending from this kind of attack. As you, uh, it, can, it can be understandable. Uh, this is quite pervasive, and uh, so a little care is needed in order to uh, handle this kind of details at the moment. But we will be glad to provide uh, uh, the full details uh, at the end of the conference. Okay. And uh, would you say that this problem affects all the uh, major handphone or mobile operators? This is a, a way Nokia handles it, or who would you say is most? Yes, impressive? yes. We we would say that uh, a very large part of the handset uh, population available at the moment uh, is uh, can be affected. As uh, as uh, we we said, this is uh, um, uh, this uh, this it really depends on how things work more than uh, and the exploitation of a single vulnerability on a single handset. Uh, we really spot this while using normal things, uh, really. But we uh, we just uh, uh, understood that this could be used uh, in a, a very a very dangerous way. So it's more more of a generic. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, pardon, uh, so Jeff. Probably I didn't hear very well. Yeah. All okay, right. Could, could... Well, thank you very much. So I'm going to. Okay, uh... Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So now we'll take any questions we have from the audience, and uh, if you have any questions you'd like to direct to any of our speakers or to them in general, and while you're getting those typed in, I'll like to thank everybody for attending this. We're going to have the audio of the presentation available in the next couple of days at Black Hat, but if you can't wait, we'll also have a link to a site, to the On24 site, that will have the video and the audio coordinated. We'll also have the slides online at Black Hat. And you can take your time, download those, share them with anybody you'd like. Also, we've got a slide up here. Um, if you want to get more involved with Black Hat, we have some LinkedIn groups. We've got a Twitter group. And uh, sometime this year, we're also working on uh, a Black Hat uh, social site, which is going to be a repository for uh, security researchers to hopefully share information. All right. So any questions? Let me see if there's any left in here I can pick off. Um, this one was for uh, Stefano. Uh, where in the network does your uh, proxy exist? What's the optimal location? Uh, after the router, before the firewall, after the firewall? 
No, um, the optimal location would be the same as the usual um, reverse proxy uh, defending web applications. So after, I, I would say after the firewall and before your battery of service. Um, basically, uh, the idea is that Mazipt is able to handle even different uh, web applications at one time. But if you have different servers, then you will probably not want to choke them off by having a single uh, reverse proxy in front of them. You will probably want to have a dedicated reverse proxy for each web server if you're running a high-performance website. But then again, if you're running a high-performance website, probably at this moment you don't want to place Mazipt in front of it. So uh, that's a bit of an academic question. But the answer is uh, it is a reverse proxy. It stands in front of the uh, of your web applications uh, inside of the, the firewall. Uh, another piece, another component uh, is uh, uh, an application library. So there will be a, an optional component installed on your web application uh, server. But uh, that's, that's the part that can be uh, omitted without uh, really um, creating a, a huge difference in the performance. So, All right. Uh, the next uh, webcast I mentioned earlier, but uh, we're going to take next month off because we'll be in Amsterdam for Black Hat. And so the next webcast number 10 will be May 14th at 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific Daylight Time, and our topic is going to be on um, a combination of mobility and security. And we'll have on our homepage uh, the speakers and the agenda listed shortly. Okay, so if any of you are actually attending the live Black Hat, we have uh, the late rate is expiring at the end of this month. Uh, if you don't register by then online, you'll be paying a higher rate on site. So if you plan on attending, uh, you want to meet some of these speakers in person or go over some of their research, see their full presentation, uh, don't forget to register early for the maximum uh, price discount. So if you're interested in any more of our research or any more of our presentations, please go to blackhat.com. Uh, you'll also be able to find the past presentations by these speakers. And if you have any questions for them or wish to get into contact, uh, you can direct questions to Jeff Moss or Jay Moss at blackhat.com, and I can put you in contact with the speakers if uh, for some reason you didn't get their email addresses off the slides. So I see a question coming up. And, oh, <laughs> thanks, Jeff. It was a thank you to all of our speakers from Jeff and uh, and a couple people saying they'd love to attend, but uh, they can't fly over to Amsterdam at this time. But the dollar is strong. We should be able to travel right now. It's sort of the reverse of what happened in Europe last year where the dollar was so weak. With that, I want to pass it back off to conference control, and he'll say a couple of words, and then we can all go about our Thursday. Thank you, everybody. Great, and thank you. Thank you. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Everybody. Bye. Bye. Everybody. And <laughs> our audience, if our audience is still on and could possibly just uh, help us out with a, a feedback form, a survey, uh, that will allow us to serve you better in the future. Just to complete the form, press the submit answer button at the bottom of the page. And uh, for more information, as Jeff has mentioned, you feel free to uh, refer to the resources available in front of you. And thanks for attending today's Black Hat Europe 2009 Sneak Preview, brought to you by Black Hat and United Business Media, LLC. Shortly after this live event, we will send you an email uh, link to this presentation on demand. 
and this webcast is copyright 2009 by United Business Media, LLC. Presentation materials are owned by or copyright, if that is the case, by Black Hat and United Business Media, LLC, who are solely responsible for its content, and the individual speakers are solely responsible for their content and their opinions. On behalf of our guest, Jeff Moss of Black Hat, and our distinguished group of expert presenters, thanks for your time, and have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.